Blog Talk Radio. Awesome. And I guess so with that, I guess 
we can start by basically defining what is a relationship. Mm-hmm. Sure. So I like to think of a relationship as an interaction and a connection between two individuals. And you can also think of it as like the relationships are the threads that weave the social tapestry of our lives. And when you think about the relationships in your life, there are many different kinds of relationships that you have. You may have relationships at home. You may have relationships at work. You may have relationships in your social circles and your church, through your church, through your extracurricular activities, through your online relationships. You may have many different places where you are nurturing relationships in your life. Okay, and and I guess why is it important then to have these relationships in our in in our personal life in our professional life? Mm-hmm. So we are essentially social creatures. Our brains are wired for that social interaction and connection, and we know from research that when we go without that social interaction or connection, that there are many negative consequences to that. So, for example, we've seen that solitary confinement in the prison system can be equated to some forms of torture. We've seen from research studies that infants that are deprived of their mother's attention and care as newborns do not thrive as well as those that have that kind of compassion and love and care. So if you think about it like a garden, relationships are so important because when you give them that TLC and that attention and that that interest, they flourish and they bloom, but if they don't, if it doesn't have that, then it can wither and die. If you look at it from a personal perspective, we know based on a study that was done at Harvard, and actually it continues today, it's an 80-year-long study so far, that the biggest predictors of success for men in the study were not money or fame throughout their lives. Rather, it was the close relationships that they had in their lives predicted their health, their happiness. That would be. So on the professional side, we know from research, for example, from Gallup, that people who have a best friend at work are seven times more likely to be engaged in their job. We also know that employee engagement continues to decrease. So how can we use that information to help our organizations thrive and be places where we can build resonant relationships and have those positive ties that not only improve our individual performance and success, but also improve organizational performance. So when we think about the the professional world that we operate in today, you know, this VUCA world that we keep hearing about, the volatile and uncertain and complex and ambiguous world where the technology that we continue to benefit from continues to erode these market advantages, the only differentiator of our organizations today is its human capital. And if we have individuals in our organizations who can connect with stakeholders externally and internally to the organization that helps move the organization forward. So relationships are critical, not only on a personal dimension, but also a professional dimension. But the key point I want to mention here is that it's not just the number of relationships that we have, either on Facebook or our LinkedIn connections or our social interactions. It's not the number that we have that's important. What matters is the quality of those relationships. And I guess that that's one of the questions that we had come in is basically how do you tell, um, I guess the question is, 
what makes up a healthy relationship? That's a great question. So we know that from psychology, there are different markers that indicate whether a relationship is healthy or not. So, for example, if it's if this relationship is one that is toxic or it has a negative effect on your well-being or it has a detrimental effect on your productivity or your health, obviously that's not a, a positive quality relationship. So you can tell from the effect that that relationship has on you mentally, physically, you know, from a well-being perspective, are you able to focus at work or is it distracting you, you know, in a negative sense, what, what, that, what type of relationship you are experiencing. Okay. And, and kind of we can, I guess, expand on that. If we are in a, a toxic relationship, what are some of the things that we can do to turn that relationship around, especially if it's in the workplace? What can we do to, to, I guess, make that relationship better, less toxic? What are some of the key points of, of, of addressing that? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. So some of that I will be addressing later on in the podcast, but for right now what I will say is that when there is a toxic relationship in the workplace, there are several things that you can do to try to make that situation better. And understanding that the only behavior that you can change and control in that situation is your own, you want to start there. So what are what are the um, factors that that relationship is displaying that cause you to label it as toxic? And what is your role in that relationship? How are you contributing to that toxic environment? Because it does take two. So what is happening in the, in that space that is creating a less than positive opportunity for two people to come together and interact and share a common vision and communicate and help move that relationship forward, which help move the organization forward. Okay. You can also take a look at understanding the power dynamics in the relationship. Where is that taking place? Is there a struggle there? Is there some kind of conflict there? And how can you go about making some changes to try to improve that dynamic with the person. What would happen if you put yourself in the other person's shoes? What are they dealing with? Perhaps there are factors going on that you're not aware of that is generating that kind of behavior on their part and vice versa. So I think it does start with communication and understanding. So how, and I guess that leads me to, I guess to ask or or ask the question, if, how does a person, if they're struggling being a good communicator, how do they break that ice with someone else? If you have two individuals that they're really not good communicators mm-hmm. and the ultimate goal is to try to establish and build a relationship, how do you bring those two together? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. So one of the things I like to think about when I am trying to build a relationship with someone that maybe I don't have a lot of knowledge about, or I'm, you know, I wouldn't maybe be in that space. I like to try to find the common thread. So what is it that we share in common? What is it that we can connect on that we have an appreciation for that we can start to build common ground? 
And I think when you start from that perspective of seeking to understand the other person and trying to find those elements that you share in common, it creates the foundation for an interaction that becomes positive. Okay. Should there be, I guess, does the environment play a part in that? Should it be like on a neutral ground, you know, where one doesn't have an advantage over the other one so that there's, there's neutrality that's in there so that, you know, it's, it's more where, I want to say where you, they know that you're trying to create a win-win for both so that both are mm-hmm. making themselves vulnerable to say, we're both trying to, to make this relationship work or better this relationship. Mm-hmm. Is that an important? Yeah, to the extent that it's possible, finding a neutral space to have that conversation would be helpful. But sometimes that's not always practical. So, for example, if you were to be able to find a neutral space, perhaps you would go to a Starbucks and ask the person out for, you know, let's go grab a coffee and remove yourselves from the environment that you're in so that you can both start on neutral territory, if that's possible. If that's not possible, then try to find a space in inside where you're working that isn't each of your offices, that isn't territory, if you will, um, where maybe negative things have happened before. So you can start like with a fresh perspective and not have some of those emotions or, you know, memories coming up from, from the last time you were in that particular space and maybe something negative happened. So ideally, if you can find a, a neutral space to have that kind of conversation, that would be helpful. Okay. Now, most of our, our listeners are uh, business owners, and um, we do have HR professionals, too, that listen to us. And so for mm-hmm. us, Obviously, relationship building from a business owner standpoint is transmount to our success. And yeah. so when we're looking at relationship building, and we'll start internally first, dealing with our mm-hmm. employee base, because obviously we need the employees in order to get our products and services out to market. Mm-hmm. If sure. you are a business owner and you know that you have a toxic environment presently in, inside, even though, you know, we have a zillion things that we are accountable for that we have to do and our hands are in everything, I guess, mm-hmm. where's, where's the first thing that or first place they should start to try to repair or remove, I should say, that toxic environment? Mm-hmm. That's a great question, and I'm so glad that you asked that. When you are a business owner or you are a leader of your organization, you set the tone and the culture for the organization. So it starts with you. And I would offer that you need to hold up a mirror and take a look and see what your role is in creating that culture in the organization. I could not agree with you more. And and. Would you, and this, I guess, that leads me to say, if you start with yourself and you see what ownership, and you have to take accountability and ownership of the part that you've played in creating or allowing that environment to continue, because it could Mm -hmm. be simply you're allowing it to go on without addressing it. Um, Exactly. As the owner or the leader of that organization, 
when you bring those individuals together to try to make that change, would you recommend them starting out by talking about the role they played in that and how they want to, I guess, make that right or make the changes and, and so that others know that they're committed to this change or invested in this change? I guess, I guess I'm looking for some direction in that area how they start out with mm-hmm. that. Mhm. Right. So in other words, when you have when you have identified the individuals that are contributing to this toxic culture, if you will, and you essentially call them into your office to have a conversation, right? That's what you're talking about. How yeah. do you start that conversation? Yeah. So one of the things I always encourage people to do is again, try to have that in a neutral space if you can. And you, as the leader for the organization um, facilitating that conversation, it's your role to remain as objective as possible. It's your role to focus on the data. It's your role to to elicit information from each person that contributes to a shared understanding of of what the context and the consideration and the concern is. So it's your job to create that space to have that conversation that helps everyone get on the same page and understand what we're actually dealing with and what are some of the factors involved in essentially the misunderstanding. Because I think a lot of times these toxic cultures are a result of misunderstandings between people or misinterpretations of something that was said or and not a clear definition of what my role and my responsibilities are. And and there can be some overlap with someone else that maybe shouldn't be there. So being able to facilitate that conversation and simply ask people to share their perspective on the story and have their voice heard, that can go a long way in having, in, in resolving those kinds of tensions and those kinds of toxic relationships and environments. Okay. And and I guess, and, and I hear you and I totally agree with you, as a business owner, as I stated earlier, we have, we're pulled in so many directions. And mm-hmm. there's only 24 hours in a day, even though we may mm-hmm. ask for 30. But for whatever yeah. reason, the universe does not want to cooperate and give us 30. It just only give us 24. Um, <laughs> yeah. How do how do we squeeze out that additional time or do we make that a priority mm-hmm. there for us? Or how important is it for us to make that a priority to, to make sure we get this relationship building right internally? Mm-hmm. I think as the business owner or as the leader of the organization, you want to ask yourself how much of a priority is it for me to be competitive in the marketplace? How much of a priority is it for me to have employees that are happy and enjoy what they're doing and translate that to our customers, which then results in sales? So how much of a priority is it to have those that kind of environment where people can flourish and perform at their best and in turn drive the results of the organization? So if that's a high priority for you as a leader or as the CEO of the organization, you will make the time to have that conversation and resolve those differences in whatever way needs to happen. And so keeping along those lines, 
then what factors exhibit learning on, on how to build a, a good relationship? Because, I mean, I, told, I could not agree with you more, but I guess the, the difficult thing is for some relationship building is difficult. What factors mm-hmm. would, would come into play with that that they, we need to learn? So there are many factors that go into building relationships. And, and building quality relationships in particular. And so many of them fall on the soft skills scale, if you will. So I think traditionally what has happened is that, you know, from a training perspective, we tend to become experts in our functional area. We tend to um, focus on the training that helps us develop quantitative skills or helps us develop controller skills or accounting skills or marketing skills, we don't often tend to have the opportunity to focus on and build our soft skills. And so when you think about some of those skills, you think about communication, you think about empathy, you think about trust, listening, respect, being vulnerable having the tools that you need to build those relationships, whether that's self-awareness or self-management or relationship management. What is the vision that you have for that relationship? Do you share that vision with the other person so that you have a shared vision and that you're both working towards the same thing? There's so many different factors that can go into building a quality relationship. I like to think about it as similar to a dance, right? There's a very, there's a lot of things that go into creating this work of art with another person when you come together on the dance floor and you have internal and external dimensions to that dance. So what is the chemistry that's happening between the two people? What, what are, what are you creating between you? How are you listening to one another? How are you demonstrating vulnerability? How are you leading? How are you responding? What's, what courage are you bringing to that, to that dance? Are you resonating? In other words, are you are you sharing energy on the same vibrational level so that you're in tune with one another? Are you bringing an element of positivity to that relationship? How? What is the energy that you bring? Is it positive? Is it negative? Is it neutral? So I think there are so many different factors in building relationships that it's really it's really a complex system when you come together with someone, and there needs to be an awareness of what a lot of those different elements are that can impact and influence the direction and outcome of that relationship. So true. So true. And I guess, and and I know that you've already hinted on it, a a lot of those or touched on some of the points, the the actual five strategies to build relationship intelligence. So I'll let you start from start from the top one to all the way through the fifth one. So if we kind of, Bounced around some of the elements, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. So I'll let you go from the start to, to all the way through um, there with the five strategies to build a relationship intelligence. Okay, sure. So I think the first strategy that I would recommend for, for our listeners today is to learn how to be empathetic. So what does that actually mean? What does it mean to have empathy? Empathy is simply being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes and to see a situation from their viewpoint and to be able to consider that it maybe isn't just your way that is the right way or the only way, that there are other ways to think about how things could be done. And perhaps there may be some some efficiencies that are gained from those new perspectives. 
Um, another way to be empathetic is to actively listen. What do we mean by actively listening? Actively listening is when you are completely present and focused on what the other person is saying. You are not preparing your response to them in that moment. You are simply listening and absorbing what they are saying. And then when they are done, you rephrase that back to them in a way that lets them know that their voice has been heard and that they were understood. So there's a big difference between active listening and listening to respond. And I would offer that most people today listen to respond where the power is actually in listening actively. That's a great way of putting that. Mm-hmm. That's a great way of putting that. Awesome. It really is. Um, and so how do we adopt a coaching mindset, though? Because that's very important as a business owner. How do, how do we mm-hmm. adapt that with, with our workforce? So adopting a coaching mindset is a very different way of thinking about being a leader today. And I like to think of it as leading with a, leading with a coaching mindset. So what does that actually mean? How, is, how can you as a leader create opportunities for your team members to think harder and deeper rather than thinking for them? How do you inspire the people that you're working with to rise to the expectations that you're setting for them? If you set the bar and expect that they will deliver, people may surprise you. How do you seek out the good in people? When you are looking at someone, are you looking to find flaws? Are you looking to find mistakes? Are you looking to find what isn't perfect? Or are you instead looking, are you choosing to see what the good is and what the positive is? I would offer almost everyone wants to be successful at work. Everyone wants to bring their A game and do their best job, with rare exceptions. I don't know very many people that want to perform poorly or be perceived as problems. So how can you as a leader choose to reframe how you're looking at your people and see the good in them? And point that out and make it, a, make it a priority to share that with them. I think another thing in terms of a coaching mindset is how can you be more aware of the data that you are using to make decisions as well as the data that you're not using to make decisions? And I like to, I, we call that mental models, right? So from Chris Argerus and his ladder of inference, um, methodology. Be aware of the mental models that you have as a leader. What are they? What are the filters that you use to view and interpret the world around you? And if you gain awareness of those, what things aren't you seeing because of those filters? So a coaching mindset is really around having a positive mindset, seeing the good in others, and really setting setting the stage for your people to perform at the level that you're expecting them to perform at and believing that they can. Now, what is the difference then, uh, I guess, for a business owner, if, if they're working with their employees, what is the difference between coaching an employee and mentoring an employee? So I would say that there's a lot of misinformation around, you know, the difference 
was between coaching and mentoring and sponsoring and primarily the the difference between coaching and mentoring is that coaching you essentially hold up the mirror and then you enable that person to develop and grow through their own journey of discovery and you facilitate that journey through the questions that you ask and the mirror that you hold up mentoring is a way to share the information that you know with the person that you are mentoring. And so you sort of, you know, you pave the path for them. You help them learn from the experiences and lessons that you have had, but you essentially give them the information. In coaching, you help them elicit that information for themselves. Okay. Okay. All right. And so... How do we then, I guess, demonstrate inspirational leadership then in our workforce or in the workplace? Mm -hmm. So as an inspirational leader, I think the the main focus is for you to provide that vision. Do you have a strategic vision for the organization? What does that look like? Have you communicated it clearly to your organization? What are the values that you live by, and how do you role model those for your organization? Are you living the behaviors that you espouse? How do you connect with others? Do you take the time to connect with them, like you said, right? As a leader or as a CEO and running your own business, you're extremely busy. But are you taking the time to show people that are working for you how much you appreciate what they, what they do for you? And how important they are to your success as a business. If you didn't have those people, you wouldn't have a business. So are you taking the time to reflect the fact that you appreciate what they do and that you are there to serve them and help them be successful? And as an inspirational leader, you set the tone for the organization. You set the behaviors that your people will role model. And so ask yourself, what does your organization look like? What are you role modeling that you want them to emulate? Do you how do, what what are what are some of the effective ways of communicating your vision to your workforce? That's a great question. So effective will depend on the context of your particular organization. So if you are a very flat organization, in other words, you don't have a lot of levels of management and you prefer to have a stand-up every morning at 8 a.m. So that's an opportune time for you to communicate the vision that you have and to reiterate what you have, what, what vision you have set for the organization. If you have a huge organization where you have thousands of people reporting to you, obviously a stand-up at 8 a.m. Isn't, isn't appropriate because you, it's not feasible. So what works best in your organization? Have you found that a visual message is best, right? So can you hop on a video? Can you hop on a webcast and deliver that messaging to the organization at the same time in the same way so that everyone hears the same message and that it's clear and consistent and concise? Maybe you have a, a more um, structured organization where you prefer, where people prefer things in writing. So if you send out an email, has messaging that con- contains the vision for the organization or reminds people of that maybe in the, the footer or the, you know, the SIG file of your email. It depends on the organization, but I think overall the common thread throughout that is 
the ability to communicate that vision in a consistent, clear, and concise, and willing manner. Everyone understands what it is, and we all are working from the same starting point. Yeah, I know. I asked that question because obviously, especially if you're a small business owner, obviously our visions can change, and it changes either because our customer base is demanding that it change, or in some cases like ours, you have um, regulatory issues that, that demand a change in what your vision is. And so mm -hmm. with that comes adapting to change. And mm -hmm. one of the beauties about being a small business owner, we can change much faster than our larger counterparts. But yeah. however, with that change, that means a change in our vision, a change in, in the way that we do things. But we also know that there, some people have a very difficult time with change. So how mm -hmm. do, what are some of the techniques that we can use to adapt to change, not just for ourselves, but for our workforce. Mm -hmm. Because we all have changed of that. The scary thing about change is that unknown. Exactly. And, exactly. And even though, you know, when it comes to realizing the only things that are not changing are things that are artificial or dead or dying. I mean, it just mm -hmm. is. Anything that has mm -hmm. life in it, there's going to be constant change. Um, we may not recognize it, but it is. And so mm -hmm. how, as a leader, how do we help our workforce adapt to that change? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. And we know that one of the hardest things for people to do is change. People don't like change. We like status quo. And so when you know that you're up against that and you have to affect some kind of change in your organization, one of the best ways to go about that is to start communicating and to communicate consistently and to communicate frequently and help people understand, first of all, why do we have to change? What is it about this that makes it imperative for us to change? It is, is it a situation where if we don't change, we will die, right, you said? When I was working at one of um, my former companies, the company was in crisis. And I distinctly remember one of the senior level leaders in the organization coming on a webcast and essentially telling us that if we did not change, we would die and we would go out of business. And that was so powerful for me at that moment because I hadn't heard anyone say in that way that this change was so critical to our survival. And I think it really galvanized the organization into action. And so helping your people understand why this change is important is critical. The second thing that you can do to help them adapt to change is explain what is changing. So they have a clear picture of the change itself. The third thing that you want to do is to then help each person understand what is their role in that change. And how is their role going to be different from what it was before? In other words, what are the change impacts that, that will, they will be experiencing? And what are some of the ways in which you can mitigate some of the pain of that change for them? So I think there's multiple strategies. And if you take a look at the, the perspective of change management 
and using a change impact analysis and using an adoption curve, right, in that space. You can, you can tailor your change to meet the psychological needs of your audience as well as the operating needs of the organization. And, and I agree with you. You have to, on our side as being an HR company, any time that we know that something is changing, um, the communication is huge because if you do not control the channels of communication and, and by getting that information out there in so many different forms as possible and control that narrative, people will begin to make things up. Yeah, they exactly. Will, they, they'll create the narrative. And before yeah. you know it, that has a huge impact on the, the, the culture. It has an impact on the morale, and in order for you to control all of that when you're going through any type of change there within your organization, you must control the narrative. And so in so many different forms, be it emails, be it newsletters, be it face-to-face meetings and, or town halls, whatever it is that you need to do to make sure you are the one controlling the narrative, you are the one providing individuals with the information, that you are the one answering the questions, creating an FAQ. Um, because what I have found in the past when you're talking about change, people want to know what's in it for me. As yeah, you said exactly. earlier, how does this impact me? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you can't answer yeah. those questions, you get high anxiety. Yes, you do. And it changes the culture, and the culture starts to become toxic. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I always recommend for for my clients that when they are going through a change of any kind, that it's not have a change management plan in place. You also have to have a communications plan in place, and you cannot over communicate too much. That is so so true, and and that leads us to how do we establish our trust because. I, People that we trust, we can we can control the atmosphere, and they're going to be our biggest champion um, there because they're going to adopt what you say and, and, and go forward. But how do we establish and build trust throughout our organization? Mm-hmm. That's great. It's a great question, and I you know I think it from an organizational standpoint, the if you think about an iceberg. Right, and you think about the part of the iceberg that's above the waterline. You can think about the performance of the organization as the part of the iceberg that's above the waterline. But the hidden drivers that are creating that performance are underneath the waterline. You don't see that. And what's happening there is it's the relationships between people that are creating that bank of trust that enable that performance of the organization. So how do you establish that bank of trust? Well, you honor your commitments. You follow through on what you say you're going to do. You take the time to build those relationships with people. You know, think about all the stakeholders that you have in your role in your organization, internally and externally to your organization. Understand what motivates people. What are they excited about? What drives them to do the things that they do? 
and then take the time to talk with them about that. Take the time to understand them a little better. Take the time to find that common ground so that you have established a, a starting point with them. How can you have a judgment-free zone, as Planet Fitness would say? How do you create that space where you simply meet people where they are and accept them as they are and then move forward together and create something beautiful? Check in with people that is, frequently. That is so key. It is. And, and we do have to take the time. Now, I know that we covered a lot of stuff thus far. And so I want to, a couple of things. One, I'm a, I want you to kind of give us a recap of what we've already covered. And then I want you to tell folks how we can get in contact with you um, and take advantage of Nash Consulting and Associates. Mm-hmm. To assist us with obviously building the relationships because the, it starts internally mm-hmm. and and it filters into the external. Um, if we don't have mm-hmm. healthy internal relationships, we will not have have healthy external relationships. And so the services that you provide is something that's very important to every business owner or every business out there. And so let's start out with the recap of what we've already covered, because then I want to definitely get to, you have some relationship plans for our listeners, and so I want to make sure that we have enough time to cover that. But just kind of for those that may have joined us a little bit late, um, give them a brief synopsis of what we've already covered. Sure. So if you're joining us late, thank you for joining us. We're glad that you could be here. And for those that have been listening the entire time, thank you so much for your attention. And thank you for all of the great questions that you've submitted. I think this has made a a very fruitful and meaningful discussion, and and it's my hope that you find this helpful today. So what we've talked about just in brief, we've talked about relationships and what they are and why they are important in life and in business. And the fact that it's not just the number of relationships that we have, but it's the quality of the relationships that matter. And in building those quality relationships, there are so many different elements that go into that because they are essentially a complex system that we create when we come together with someone else. And so when we think about how to build those relationships, we can think about techniques that involve a lot of the different soft skills, right? So trust and empathy and listening and communication and vulnerability and adaptability um, and a coaching mindset. And so the strategies that we've discussed to build those quality relationships include learning how to be empathetic and adopting a coaching mindset and developing and demonstrating inspirational leadership, enhancing your adaptability and flexibility, and finally establishing a bank of trust. And so I would offer that if listeners are interested in learning more about that or having further conversations in this space, they're welcome to reach out to me at my website. There's a contact form there they can fill out, and it will be sent to me, and we'll get in touch with you. Um, alternately, they can send me an email at execsuccess at gmail.com, or they can give me a phone call at 734-489-1206, and we can have a conversation around what you're looking for. Do you have a website? 
I do. My website is nashconsultingandassociates.com. Awesome. Awesome. Now, we have about a little less than uh, 10 minutes or so to go. Tell us about the relationship plan that you've designed for our listeners. So we've had quite a few questions today related to perhaps situations that people are encountering with relationships that aren't as positive as they could be or aren't as quality or healthy as they could be. And so one of the things that I wanted to offer to listeners is a way to really, a structured way to think about the relationships that they have and to design a plan to move those relationships in a direction that they would like to move them. And so one of the first things that I would ask them to think about is just consider um, the relationships that you currently have, right, in your work life, in your home life, um, in your social circles, at church, um, maybe your extracurricular activities. And which of those relationships would you want to improve? Which of them have opportunity to improve? And once you've identified those relationships, then – you want to ask yourself the question, what is your role in that relationship? What are the behaviors that you're exhibiting, contributing to that relationship, either good, neutral, or, or not so good? If you had to describe the relationship, describe it. And why do you think it's not flourishing? And once you've considered your answers to those questions, then if you start to think about the five strategies that we've discussed today on this podcast, what are some of the actions that you can take based on those strategies to change the dynamics of those relationships that you're having? And as you consider that, how will you know if the changes that you're making are improving the health and the quality of that relationship? What are the signs that you're going to look for that tell you that that relationship is improving? So that's essentially the relationship plan that I, the strategic relationship plan that I've put together for listeners. And you can find that as a download on my website at nashconsultingandassociates.com. And I believe, Felicia, that that will also be available through your website as well, correct? It will. It will be available on our website. Um, You can check back here. It should be posted up on next week. We'll have resources, so all that information. Um, Jennifer's information will be on there, too, as well. Uh, We will definitely have that on there, as well as all of your contact information. Now, Jennifer, do you have any events coming up if someone wanted to attend? Any public events, or do you have just whole private events? How does that work with your organization? So I have a public uh, development workshop coming up in the fall that people can attend. They can email for more information. I also have a workshop coming up that I am presenting at INCOSI, which is the International Council on Systems Engineering. So if anyone listening is a systems engineer and is attending that conference in July in Orlando, please feel free to sign up for my tutorial, the workshop. Uh, We'll be discussing how to lead without authority, the power of influence, 
as well as building team dynamics. So we're focusing on those two skill sets in particular um, for that tutorial at that workshop. Awesome, awesome. And so they'll be held here in the Metropolitan Detroit area? So the first one that's in the fall, that will be held at a location to be determined in Metro Detroit. And the workshop that's happening in July is in Orlando, Florida. Okay, cool. Awesome. And so do you do individual coaching, and is your coaching just for individuals, either a business owner or employee, or is it for the organization as a whole? So I coach leaders and individuals who are successful who want to be more successful. And I do that by focusing on some of the leadership behaviors that they may need to change. So, for example, someone may come to me and say, look, I, um, I, I actually, I just talked to the potential client last week who is sharing with me how he's a very senior level leader in a very large organization. And this person is struggling a little bit because they are an introvert. And the messaging that they seem to be receiving from those around them is in order to succeed in the organization, they have to be extroverted and they have to be loud and they have to be, you know, taking over um, the meeting by, you know, commanding control and talking through the whole meeting. And this leader was, was they, they were torn because they were sharing with me how that's just not, how can they be successful in an environment like that when it's not their authentic way to lead? And so those are the kinds of situations that I help leaders work through to become more successful in their organization and lead in a way that feels authentic and genuine for them. The second thing that I do coaching on is for organizations, for leaders and their teams, where I use a stakeholder-centered coaching methodology. So in order for individuals to gain a better perspective on how they are perceived in the organization, it's extremely helpful to have a type of 360 to give them that feedback on how they are perceived. And when you involve stakeholders in that equation of helping this person change their behavior, it's an extremely powerful event because not only does the leader's behavior change, but it's a ripple effect that goes throughout the organization because the stakeholders that are involved in providing that leader feedback, their behavior also starts to change because they're seeing that behavior role modeled from the leader that they're working with. And so this stakeholder-centered coaching methodology is exceptionally powerful. And that is the second type of coaching that I do for individuals and their teams. Awesome. And for those of you that are listeners uh, that are out there and you may be an introvert, do you know that introverts are very successful leaders? Mm -hmm. It's just the way that you change the perception of others. And being an introvert just basically means where we get our energy from. Exactly. Where, where are we energized? Extroverts, they have to be around other people. An introvert, no, we, we get our motivation to come from within. It doesn't come outside. And that has nothing mm -hmm. to do with your skill set. And being an introvert or extrovert does not determine anything about your skill set at all. It has Correct. everything to do with where you get your energy from, where do you get energized from, what motivates you. 
It just comes from you. It's for as an introvert, it's within. For an extrovert, it's being around other people. The extroverts, you'll mm-hmm. see them say, oh, I just think on my feet. I think when I'm around other people and I kind of have to talk it, talk it out. That's an extrovert. Mm-hmm. An introvert, they have to get by themselves and they, they kind of think through their whole process. And the more that they're alone, they can energize themselves and, and things become a lot clearer for them. And so that does not mean or have anything to do with your skill set. Exactly. And so if you're and an extrovert that's out there. Go ahead, Jennifer. No, I completely agree, Felicia. I think that there is a misperception that introverts cannot be good leaders, cannot be great leaders. And, in fact, some of the best leaders that we've had in the world are introverts. It is. So it is. it's very true. And I think that the, the the there was a study that was done that showed that people that dominate the conversation in the room, whether or not they are they know what they're talking about, they're perceived as more confident. So there's a perception that introverts are working against to really define who they are and how they show up in the world. And when we, this leader that I was mentioning, they're extremely successful and they want to be more successful and they want to understand how can I change others' perceptions of me so that I continue, can I continue to climb that ladder? I can continue to be the amazing leader that I am and inspire the people around me and help them grow and evolve as well. I'm so glad you brought that up because introversion and extroversion is simply a question of where we derive our energy from. It is. It is. And and it's so I, I just want to make sure as listeners you understand that because as you stated, those that are introverts, we they are very successful leaders and, and the reason for that is because you don't mind being by yourself. The higher up you go, mm-hmm. there's more information and more things that your ability to share strategies and all those different things, it becomes cut off. And you become mm-hmm. separated for some reason from, from others just because of that planning process. And an introvert mm-hmm. is better able to handle a, a closed-off environment more so than an extrovert. And so mm-hmm. do not think that you cannot excel or go higher in your career because you're an extra, because you're an introvert, you can't. Mm-hmm. You're the, you are the perfect person for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's um, a fantastic book for your listeners if they haven't read it and they are introverts, or even if they're extroverts and want to understand these introverts that don't talk as much as they do. There's a book by Susan called The Power of Introverts, and for mm-hmm. me as an introvert, that book was life changing because I never quite understood for myself why it was that I needed to soak on information a little bit more and that I needed to process that internally before I was ready to share my thoughts with others. And so doing a podcast like this today is actually something that's a little difficult for me because it requires me to be um, thinking off the top of my head and being on, on my toes as opposed to having that time to soak and reflect and then be able to come back with a very well-formulated answer that I feel is, is articulated quite well. So the Susan Kane book, The Power of Introverts, I would highly recommend that to the listeners if they're interested in learning more about 
how introverts work and the way we are we are, as well as understanding the unique contributions that we make to conversations and to organizations as a whole. Awesome. Now we have about just about uh, a few seconds left. And uh, tell us again how we can get in contact with you. So you can reach me at my website, which is nashconsultingandassociates.com. You may send me an email at execsuccess at gmail.com. Or you can give me a phone call at 734-489-1206. Awesome. Thank you again so much, Jennifer, for taking the time to speak with us this morning. The information you've given us today has been invaluable. And I want to invite our listeners back on next week where we will have another guest speaker here. And obviously, if you have any questions, definitely feel free to reach out to Jennifer directly and take advantage of her services. And if you have, obviously, any HR issues or concerns, you can always reach us at support at everythinghr.net, as well as our website is everythinghr.net, where you can find a number of different things that we're able to assist you with on an HR uh, needs assessment. And so, again, have a great day, and we look forward to seeing you again on next week.